0: Caitlin, a lover of food and drink with little expertise in either. This is Braised and Confused. And this episode is a really fun one. Not that they aren't all fun, but in this one I learned so much about Amaro and monks and prohibition hacks while chatting with my very wise and talented brother-in-law Eli. And afterwards I may or may have definitely mixed myself a little Campari soda because why not? So before we get two sheets to the wind on bitter aperitifs, let's fill up on food scraps. Today we're talking pound cake, something that would probably be delicious with an Amaro spiked frosting. So, someone do that. The original recipe for this densely delicious cake, created in England in the 18th century, called for a pound of each ingredient. Butter, sugar, eggs, flour. Which, first of all, is insane. No wonder this cake is so good. But the name came about because so many people were still illiterate in these times, especially the women who were probably the ones baking. The name was meant to be a helpful way of remembering how much each ingredient went into the cake. So, it's great for them, it's rough for us, so try not to remember this the next time you eat a pound cake. We're about to dig into amaro, which vine pear calls one of the best expressions of terroir to be found on the spirit side. It's an acquired taste that I've recently forced myself to acquire. Here to explore is my brother-in-law, an Amaro lover, Eli. Thanks for coming on to talk about Amaro.
1: My pleasure. I'm I'm excited to be here.
0: Yeah. Okay, so let's just jump right into it. So what is Amaro?
1: So Amaro is, it's an old um, Italian herbal liqueur. Basically, it's just sort of a uh, a tincture with um, neutral spirits and, and any sorts of combination of herbs and spices and other things. And mm-hmm. um, it's been around for a while. And it literally, Amaro just translates in Italian to bitter. So mm-hmm. that sort of covers the the essential <laughs> quality <laughs> yeah. of any Amaro is it's going to have a little bitterness to it. right And um, beyond that, though, it's, it's kind of um, open, you know, it's an open field as to what is an amaro. Um, mm-hmm. there, it's not like champagne or other sorts of very, you know, high uh, liquors yeah. and, and wines. It's pretty much anything that has a bunch of different uh, herbs and and spices in it. Um, there's no real definition, so it's kind of the wild west.
0: Basically, there are a million different styles. Um, the Wikipedia page for amaro is devastatingly short. I was really disappointed in it. <laughs> I don't know what um, happened there.
1: There's, there's a lot more yeah. to offer
0: it's crazy they just had like a list of all the different styles of amaro and that was it which seems nuts but basically there's the the red amaros like your campari and your aperol and then the Frenette style like frenet bronca and those are like the i would consider those like the top two as far as being the most popular and used mm-hmm. worldwide but there are like a ton of other styles um as the wikipedia yeah. page will tell you
1: yeah, no, there's like a whole rabbit hole that if you, if you look for it, um, you know, beyond the famous ones, mm-hmm. pretty much there's this sort of dark, the sort of standard dark Amaro that is the umbrella term for what seems to be like thousands of little mini, you know, home recipe Amaros. Yeah. Um, but uh, to me, some of the, the most interesting ones are Chenar, um, mm-hmm. which is actually not even that old of an Amaro. It, it was in, invented in the 1950s, and that's the one oh, with the artichoke. Yeah. Uh, on the cover. And that's sort of, it's, uh, you know, um, a very unusual flavor comes from that. Yeah. And then there's one that I've been looking for for a long time. I've yet to actually find, at least in the States, which is tartufo Amaro. Um, mm-hmm. And that's apparently uh, made with black truffles as its signature flavor. Um, so weird. Have you ever had a tartufo?
0: No, it sounds crazy. Like it sounds salty.
1: I don't know what would mix with a black truffle concoction, but um, it's (laughs) sort of the the unicorn Amaro for me. One day I'll find it.
0: Yes. It'll be
1: surprisingly delicious, but yeah. um, yeah, So so those are some of the the sort of interesting ones, but Mm -hmm. another famous Amaro, technically it's not really an Amaro, but it's sort of grouped together as the vermouth, Mm -hmm. um, which the main difference is I think most Amaros are neutral spirit based. That's sort of where it all begins, but Mm -hmm. a vermouth is, it's wine-based, um, which is kind of what makes right. it a little more syrupy and, you know, has a different texture to it. Um, gotcha. And, yeah, and then, but like we were saying, Amaro is kind of the Wild West. Technically, uh, I was reading, you could define Jaegermeister as an Amaro just because it's, <laughs> it it has 56 very strange ingredients, and they all combine oh, to make whatever, yeah, whatever Jäger is. Uh, uh, yes. Yeah. So <laughs> I think we, everyone has their own different college association with Jaeger but technically it's an Amaro.
0: Interesting yeah I think it's Mm -hmm. the what as we're reading reading that it was basically what makes an Amaro an Amaro is that it's Italian and that's it like everything else is sort of uh up in the air but yeah
1: yeah it's it's almost like a flavor profile rather than the uh, ingredient definition it's anything that has a bunch of different ingredients thrown together to make this sort of bitter syrupy interesting Mm -hmm. you know uh, concoction, but it's right. sort of, it's sort of, yeah, it's it's an interesting world that I think is expanding more and more recently as it becomes, you know, an industry favorite.
0: Yeah, totally. Um, yeah, and on the Italian point, one of the interesting things I was reading was that about the different taste of amaro. So there, it really isn't even as we're saying, it's not even classified by like one specific taste. So. Um, mm-hmm. Some Amaros that are from Northern Italy, they're, they tend to be made of drier, they, they're they more herbal and barky, like taste like bark. Um, whereas the ones from Southern Italy where there's more citrus, there's more olives, those ones tend to be a little bit sweeter and have those fruit flavors. Um, and those are the ones that translate more broadly to the rest of the world because they're a little bit easier to drink.
1: Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Yes, yeah, I mean, it is sort of interesting when you think about whatever an Amaro is, it's just mm-hmm. whatever a, a lot of the local herbs and spices and yeah. ingredients that you can get your hands on. So it makes sense that the the environment would define, you know, the different styles.
0: Yeah, exactly. OK, so let's talk a little bit about the history. So where did like when did this start becoming a thing that people were making and who was doing it?
1: Mm. Yeah, I mean, it's sort of this practice of putting, you know, herbs and spices into alcohol, obviously, is as old as civilization, practically. Mm -hmm. Um, But this, this type of specific concoction, um, using these neutral spirits and using these, like, huge varieties of herbs from all around the world, it it really came about um, in the 15th century. And uh, as we were talking about earlier, um, you know, there's, there's a lot we owe to monks and <laughs> and um specifically the Benedictine and the cistercian monks um yeah. you know they were spread all across Italy, and they all had their own um monasteries where they would just you know spend <laughs> most of their time making concoctions and so they um they would call them elixirs at the time, and mm-hmm. they were supposedly just for medicinal purposes they would just be experimenting combining all these different uh you know um ingredients from like juniper and anise and fennel to, you know, sage and licorice and, and cardamom and all, all these different things. Um, yeah. and so, yeah, they would just try and see what came out well. And they all thought that, um, you know, these herbal ingredients had medicinal properties. So they, mm-hmm. they would, you know, try to use these elixirs for all sorts of different cure at the time. Um,
0: yeah.
1: and, uh, yeah, no, you know, they were, they would share the recipes with the locals and then the locals would go off and riff and do their own thing. And um, Mm -hmm. it became this sort of proprietary, each Italian family had their own Amaro that they made at home and, you know, would use it for, for all sorts of different ailments.
0: Yeah. And those recipes, the family recipes sort of stuck around for a really, for a long time. Um, I saw that even, I think the production commercially of Amaro was in the like 17 and 1800s, but it was actually more common, even during that time, for for restaurants in Italy to offer amaro that was made by local families and made by their neighbors, made by the family that owned the restaurant. And those sort of secret recipes are now what are coming out as these artisanal, um, one-off, like bespoke amaro that are all over the world. Those are all they like started from these tiny. Italian family recipes that came probably at some point from these monks who just shared them with everybody, which is totally crazy.
1: It's crazy. And you can really trace it. You can trace these recipes back to, you know, each, each bottle of Amaro that you find like usually mm-hmm. has a family story behind it that you can track back to the 1800s at, at, at yeah. you know, most recent, but sometimes even beyond that. Um, and yeah, it's fascinating, you know, these families, You know, they had these recipes that they loved and their friends and family loved. And they when they immigrated to the U.S. in the 1800s,
0: um,
1: they brought these recipes with them. And they, you know, Italian immigrants, um, I think, first sort of concentrated in San Francisco, New York and Boston. And so that's Mm -hmm. where a lot of these um, American Amaros can be traced to. Um, And it was fascinating because they came in the 1800s and then um, once Prohibition started in the 1920s, Amaro became even more, quote unquote, popular as a drink of yeah. choice because it, it was actually still legal because of its, you know, medicinal properties or, you know, yeah. in hindsight, how medicinal wasn't hard to say. But, <laughs> right. Um, but uh, yeah, Fernet is sort of the famous one that, uh, yeah. you know, is, it, it was sold for stomach ailments. It was it was sold for cough medicine. Uh, And if you believe the Fernet Branca's um, own history, it also (laughs) is a very effective treatment for cholera. Um, Although,
0: (laughs) yeah, who knows? That's a a little bit questionable,
1: (laughs) but um, it certainly could hurt.
0: Yeah, hopefully, something we'll never have to actually find out for sure ever again because that sounds awful. Um, Yeah, so Amaro in the US. Uh, It stuck around through Prohibition because, as we're saying, it it was medicinal, it was sold in pharmacies. Um, And then the other, and that was mostly Fernet. and then sort of your other wave of of Amaro, which is your Campari Aperol side of it, the red ones, um, those came and got really popular after World War II because a lot of military members who were stationed in Europe, they brought this aperitif uh, tradition from Italy back home and that's where the kind of opening for those amaro brands, Campari, et cetera to kind of come in and um, you know, take hold in, in society and become a big part of drinking culture. Um, yeah, and now Fernet is we were reading that it's the sign of like industry cred. So basically, if you're in the if you're in the drinks industry, um, a sign when you go to, so if you're in the drinks industry, generally when you go to a bar, if they know that you're in the industry, you get some kind of discount or something. And one of the ways to uh, announce this essentially quietly is to order a shot of Fournette, um, which they call the bartender's handshake. When I learned this, it kind of dawned on me that I, a couple of years ago, went on a trip to Austin and I went to a bar and I ordered, I don't know why I did this because I don't care for fernet. Um, but I ordered a Lone Star and frenette shot, like beer and shot combo.
1: Yeah, yeah Oh it, man.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um it was gross. I didn't I took like one sip of the frenette remembered what frenette was, and that's just really disappointed in, in my choice. It's it, it's a
1: great drink for a lot of different times, but
0: it's mm-hmm. it could be
1: rough if you're a little farther along in the night, I think. Yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah totally. And,
1: uh, it re- your story reminds me of um, when I was, uh, we, you know, doing, um, uh, having our bachelor party with your husband, my brother, mm-hmm. Zach, and uh, we were in Portland and it was, he had just flown in and we were having a very, very long night. We, had, you know, <laughs> we, you know, you know, Zach, we had Malart, we had all sorts yeah. of stuff going through yeah, the of night. Course. We, we were more than covered for, for the evening and we were at our last stop at this bar and we'd been chatting with the bartender, and he was mm-hmm. very nice, and he was giving us all the recommendations. And so he wanted to do his sort of, like, c- communal bro shot with all of us. Yeah. And we, we were we were more than, you know, fine at that point. But uh, he he made it fernet, And oh, no. none of us were expecting that. And he actually had, <laughs> this is Portland, of course, he had fernet on tap. And oh, uh, no. fernet fernet yeah. And so we had these huge glasses. They were definitely oh, more than a shot and um we all knew in that moment that this is going to make our day <laughs> really really rough tomorrow but you know you had yeah. to do it
0: oof that it, sounds really it, it, really rough yeah there's one um fernet brand it's like a brooklyn they make it in brooklyn i don't remember what it's called um i'll look it up and cite it in the notes or something but it's it's not it doesn't have that like menthol taste like Branca does. It's the best Fernet I've ever had and it should absolutely be standard because- Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's it, great.
1: It has, and I think that's a great story because I think people sometimes have one bad experience with the type of Amaro that,
0: mm-hmm. you know, a
1: lot of a lot of the most famous Amaros are, very, are known specifically for one dominant flavor, like Fernet is very menthol-y and Pari yep. um, paris bitter and,
0: uh, yep.
1: but a lot of these other, smaller family amaros are like much more complicated and have a very interesting profile and um yeah I, it's there's definitely a whole you know universe of amaros out there that people should explore
0: yeah totally um and that leads us pretty nicely into what's the best way to drink amaro i think we've both uh decided that <laughs> shots of fernet branca are not the right way <laughs> to drink amaro <laughs>
1: No judgment, um, no judgment if that's your yeah, path, but yeah, that's totally. not my
0: path. Not for us. That's why we're not bartenders. So, yeah. <laughs> that's right.
1: We're not cool <laughs> enough. Yeah,
0: exactly. Exactly. Um, yeah, so what's your go-to way to drink Amaro and your go-to types to drink?
1: Yeah, well, so, you know, um, yeah, <laughs> away for the fernets which are always interesting and, and I think are mm-hmm. a great digestif. yeah um, mm-hmm. My personal recent discovery, my favorite, is uh, an Amaro called Sumato Rhubarbo, um, okay. which is, it's, you know, like Chinar is with artichoke, um, sfumato is with uh, rhubarb, and mm. actually, specifically Chinese rhubarb, and even more okay. specifically, they, um, they roast the Chinese rhubarb before mm. they put it into the tincture, and so it has this, like, sweet, caramely, smoky campfire flavor to it. Um, yeah, and it's really delicious. It's really smooth and sweet, um, and so it it doesn't taste bitter in that way that a lot of amaros do. Mm. And um, it's just really good straight or or over ice, especially. Nice. But uh, obviously, you know, beyond just drinking it straighter with with uh, a little water in it, um, it's become mm-hmm. really popular in cocktails. I think all across the board, yeah. all, all the different amaros have been utilized in all these different ways recently.
0: Yeah, totally. Yeah, the sort of hot ones in, in quarantine, it seems like, are the, the Negroni and the Boulevardier, because they're so easy. And you usually mm. everyone either has gin or whiskey and all these other things already in their house. So it's, it's sort of like a foolproof cocktail. Um, and you were saying totally. that your go-to is the Boulevardier, right?
1: Yes, I love Boulevardiers. I will say um, they are just like a headache in a glass. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> because there there's a lot of um you know the bitters and the the different amaros yeah. like you got to you got to enjoy your boulevardier slowly but um mm-hmm. yeah boulevardier is uh it's bourbon and r- or rye and it's just that with campari and sweet vermouth and, a, and an orange peel garnish and sometimes people throw bitters in there too um yeah. but it's uh yeah it's super super flavorful flavorful but also sweet and sort of um has a, has a different array of flavors as you drink it. So uh, that's yeah. one of my favorites.
0: Nice. Yeah. I, you? Do
1: you have any classics?
0: Um, well, I, I used to really not like like Campari at all. So I kind of avoided mm-hmm. anything with any kind of Amaro because that was the flavor I associated with it. But um, when we went to, when Zach and I went to Sicily for our honeymoon, We ordered some Negronis because we figured, like, we're here, we're doing it. And we specifically Mm -hmm. went to a cocktail bar, what advertised itself as a cocktail bar, because we wanted Negronis, but then we knew we would want to move on to other things. Um, And I remember Zach went up to order after we had the Negronis, and they had everything that you would see at, like, a standard American cocktail bar. They had Uh all the tools, all the different whiskeys, and, like, every type of, liquor you could imagine. And he asked for a Manhattan and they were like, no, we don't know what that is. Um, <laughs> it got shut down. <laughs> yeah. So he basically said like, okay, what can you make that isn't a Negroni? And they were like, uh, a gin and tonic or a Boulevardier. And that was it. And you know, like wow. a Boulevardier and a Negroni are basically the same except for the gin versus the whiskey. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, we just ended up drinking Negronis and Boulevardiers the whole time. And now I really love wow. them. Uh, which is, so that's,
1: were they, were they good? Were they really good at it? Was that like, yeah, yeah. Yeah. they just, they know how to wield their Amaro's, their homegrown.
0: I think so. I think that's the key. All right. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for sharing all this fascinating knowledge about these delicious, bitter drinks. Um, Yeah. Likewise. I'm going to go have one. Yeah.
1: Let's do it. Awesome. (laughs) It was a pleasure talking
0: (laughs) with you, Keith. Yeah, you too. Thank you to Eli for teaching us that Jaeger is a Morrow. Thank you to the Italians for turning medicine into booze. And thanks to bartenders everywhere for weirdly embracing this bitter drink.